0: All right, good morning, morning. everybody hear me okay? In the back, any thumbs up? A couple? Hey, appreciate it, I like that feedback. Well, not the audio feedback, but bad joke, working on it. (laughs) All right, just getting situated. All right, so like Matt said, my name is Jeff Petrie, a member here at Park Community Church. Um, about, I gotta see, it was about four years ago now, wow, that uh, God led my wife and I, Megan, down here to St. Louis Park. um, And God in his providence orchestrated for Andrew and I and Megan to kind of run into each other. Didn't really plan on it, but we were both at a transition in life where we were both coming to the cities and God led us to come down here to St. Louis Park. Uh, We bought a condo and Help plant City Vision Church, which eventually merged with Park Free and became this church that we call Park Community, or for some of us, call home. Um, I'm also part of the preaching team here at Park Community, along with Mark and Matt, and uh, it's a real blessing to be here and to have this chance to speak this morning. Um, For those of you who like to uh, flip to the text just to get it out of the way, we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. and that is starting on page 924 in the Pew Bibles. So you can flip to there, keep your finger there. Um, We have a little bit of ground to cover before we dig into that text. So there's a lot of characteristics about the Apostle Paul that stand out when we read the Bible. Um, Many things, his tenacity, his drive, his relentless devotion to Christ. This morning I want to highlight... Two things, not that these are the best two, but because this is what God put on my heart to share. Um, These two things being faithfulness and mission. For the Christian to be faithful is to be firm and constant in our relationship with Jesus, not straying. And constant means all the time, 24-7, no hiccups. That's what constancy means. Um, Mission will define from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In short, to be on mission is to take the gospel empowered by the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. Now, some people may wonder, does that mean I have to move across the globe Kind of like where I'm at. It could mean that. It could also mean that God wants you to just walk across the room at your sphere of influence, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and see what he does as you reach out to people with his love. And it could be anywhere in between those two things. So, as we kind of move into our text this week, a little bit of recap for those who may not have been here last week or may have had a long week and forgot. Um, Last week, Matt had spoke about how the Gentiles don't need to keep the law as we are unable to keep the law and save ourselves by it. It's the grace of God alone. Um, Some men were requiring to keep the law of Moses by being circumcised. And they had went to the Jerusalem council, and that was not the case, as Paul went to bat for And so, going on from there, if you're uh, still flipped open to chapter 16, the chunk right above it, we see Paul and Barnabas separate. Now, we hear the word separation and we think, oh, bad, negative, conflict, rough, bad imagery. But however, this is not one of those cases. See, Paul and Barnabas had this disagreement because Barnabas wanted to take Mark along with them. Paul strongly disagreed. The ESV translation, if you see, it says they had a sharp disagreement. But they ended up going their separate ways because it was for the sake of mission and not their preferences that they separated. And God went on to bless all of those guys in their respective ministries in the future. And then moving on to chapter 16... So we kind of have a lot of ground to cover. We're going to do a little bit more of an overview for this first chunk. Um, If you want to get into more of the nitty-gritty, I want to encourage you to dig into that um, on your own this next week or after the service even. So we start in Chapter 16, and we see that Timothy joins Paul and Silas. Um, Sorry, I got misplaced. So Timothy joins Paul and Silas. And it was for the sake of mission that Paul had circumcised Timothy. And it seems a little confusing because didn't they just rule that didn't really have to be to be saved and what? It's not that. It's for the sake of mission that Timothy was. Because Paul knew that having an uncircumcised Jew along with them would have been a distraction to any further witness to Jews. So for the sake of clarity and mission, keeping Jesus the main thing, He was circumcised. And then we move on to see the Macedonian call. And, you know, Paul and the guys, they wanted to preach everywhere. Their fire was up for the Lord. They wanted to speak everywhere. But in this section, the Holy Spirit leads them to keep going. They tried to go to a few towns. Holy Spirit was like, nope, keep going. And instead of getting upset about it and really fighting back, they continued to obey because it was about God's mission and not what they wanted their mission to be. They were faithful to what God was calling them to do. And so then Paul gets spoken to through a vision. And there's this man from Macedonia that is urging them, pleading them to come down to Macedonia and to help them. And so Paul listens. And so then they sail down to Philippi in the next section And they go to, yeah, Philippi, which is a leading city in Macedonia, a Roman colony. And there they preach to a group of women. Uh, Normally, Paul would look for a synagogue to kind of preach in and to establish with. And since he wasn't able to find one or there wasn't one present, he found a group of women that were gathering to pray, and he preached. And a wealthy businesswoman named Lydia got saved. And then we come down to this section where Paul and Silas in prison is what the title says. And this is going to kind of set up our text for this morning. Paul and Silas were preaching. They were going about their way. And there was a demon-possessed girl that was a slave girl. She was possessed by a demon that was enabling her with these supernatural gifts to understand and to know secrets about other people which brought the masters a lot of good fortune, a lot of money, fortune-telling. And not only that, but this woman was following them around, exclaiming, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. Well, we hear that, and we're like, well, that's what they were doing. Is she wrong? This is strange. In a formal sense, that was true. But the thing is most of the people weren't associating the most high god with Jesus. It may have been Zeus or whoever else was their top god at the time. Or when they hear the way of salvation may have meant prosperity. And Paul didn't want to associate this gospel that he was proclaiming with this woman who was possessed, not the same god. And so by the authority of Jesus, specifically using Jesus' name and authority, cast the demon out from the girl. The slave owners were not thrilled with this because of their loss of profit. This has been a theme throughout the book of Acts, is this idea of profit. God can help me get profit. I want to do X, Y, and Z, so that way I can get profit, and God will bless it. It doesn't work out like that. But people... Keep trying that. And so, what do the slave owners do? They take Paul and Silas and they drag them before the magistrates. And the magistrates were responsible for keeping civil order, trying to keep things in line. Now, they couldn't just go before them and complain about a loss of profit. Hey, our business is like doing really bad because of what Paul and Silas did to this slave that we have need you something about it, that wouldn't have stuck. What they did was they played off of the emotions of the magistrates and kind of incited a mob kind of idea by saying, oh, they're breaking the Roman laws and regulations, and this is not okay for us people. And so all of a sudden, that sparks a lot of frustration right away, like this instant switch, I'm upset. And so, as the crowd became more and more unruly, they gave in to the mob and had them beaten and thrown into prison. You see, these people were the most loyal of Romans. And so, if you made a joke, if you made a comment about them that they felt was offensive, it wasn't just like a, okay, but it was like a, what? Those are fighting words. And so, then this scene happens. So, that's kind of the setup for our main text today which now, if uh, you still have that open, we're going to turn to. And I'm going to invite you to stand as we read the text together this morning, honor of God's word. Acts 16, starting in verse 25, says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. May I have a seat? Join with me as I pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the way that you have shown faithfulness and being on mission throughout the book of Acts, the way that you used Paul and Silas in this text that we're going to look into this morning, God. I ask that you would speak to each of us this morning, God. We're all at different places in our lives with different things going on at work, home, home friendships, any of the above, Lord. God, I pray that for this moment this morning, Lord, that you would limit us from distraction, that you would help us to hear from you, and that you would help us to leave different. Speak to us, Lord. Amen. Amen. So verse 25 starts out showing that At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and that the prisoners were listening to them. They had just got done being beaten in public by a mob and were then in stocks in the prison. But this was their response, hymns, praying. If you're a note taker, I have three kind of main points or kind of three focuses this morning. And the first one is hope and joy in the midst of suffering. You could say there are three responses we're going to look at this morning. They responded with hope and joy in the midst of suffering. The only way that's possible is through a very strong sense and presence of the Holy Spirit empowering them, enabling them to keep going, to keep their eyes focused on the things that are above and not the things on earth. Something that's different about their culture in this time frame versus our culture today is that crowns came via the cross. You can't live as a Christian in this time frame and try to do things for the Lord and just assume that, oh, I'm not going to have to deal with any of these tough things, and then the cross isn't going to be there. It's, it's up over there somewhere. That's us taking our today mentality and putting it into the text. Back then, that was kind of an assumption that was understood, is that to follow Christ, it was going to cost you everything, And it wasn't always really, really terrible. And it wasn't always incredible and positive and thumbs up. But it was, Lord God, whatever your will is, whatever may come from that is worth it because I have you and I'm going to live for you. And I was reading this and studying this over the past couple months and uh, read a quote from a pastor out on the West Coast. His name is Erwin McManus and he said this. He said, we want to live a life where God fights every battle so that we don't have to fight any battles. However, Jesus doesn't move obstacles. Rather, he raises the bar of your life. It's really humbling. Because I think for a lot of us that are believers, we would say that's true. And it's not that we have to take matters into our own hands, but it's about giving our spirit over to the Lord, being like, Holy Spirit, you come in, you lead and guide and direct through me. It's all for you, not for me. You see, it was Paul and Silas keeping their focus on the God above them instead of the world around them that they were able to be thankful to give praise, to have gratitude after being treated unjustly. In the latter half of that verse, if you notice, and the prisoners were listening to them. I think that's incredible. You have this injustice happen, and all these prisoners are in the prison, and then they see how they responded to this unjust treatment and they were listening to them. I always wonder what was going on in their minds. Like, what were they thinking? Had to have just been, like, bewildering, dumbfounded almost. So then moving on, if we look at verse 26, we see this miracle happen. seems a little bit random, but nothing's random because God ordained it. And it says this. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried at a loud voice, "Do not harm yourself, for we are all here." The second response. That we see this morning in the text is that paul and silas responded to this kind of freedom that came what seemed to be out of nowhere this earthquake they responded with selfless compassion they were freed they were no longer in the stocks like the doors are open chains are off i can walk out i'm out i'm in prison now i'm out At least that's what our kind of basic human understanding would be, like, you're in prison, you want to be out, now there's a way out, you walk out. (laughs) But we see here instead, because they were focused on being faithful to what God had called them to do, to preach the word, to bring the gospel everywhere, that they stayed out of selfless compassion for the jailer. Notice how the jailer responded with almost like this despondent approach, said that he drew his sword and was going to kill himself. And something we have to remember about the culture of the day is that the penalty for a Roman soldier, someone escaping on their watch, was death. They had a zero-tolerance policy, whether it was your fault or not, did not even enter into their minds. It's Oh, they were gone on your watch, you're gone. That simple. And so the jailer wakes up and is like, all right, this is it. Didn't even have to go in and look, just, oh, they're gone. Because who would stay? You're in prison. Paul and Silas used their freedom as an opportunity for witness instead of escape. This text reminds me of a kind of news story that kind of came out over the, I think it was maybe three to four years ago, it might be a little rough on the time frame, but uh, Pastor Kenneth Bay, if anyone remembers, he was held captive in North Korea, um, I think for about seven, eight years, and I recently read his uh, kind of story or his account of his time there, and he had a ministry where he would take people into North Korea just to pray, just to kind of walk around this area of North Korea where they were able to be and just to pray that God would intercede, that he would lead the people to him, bring the nation to him. And he had this external hard drive with him, which was a no-no that had Christian material on it. And so they viewed that as this, oh, you're trying to overthrow the government. And I'm reading this account, and I'm just like, man, this is nuts. And over and over again, if you ever have the chance to read the book, you'll see that he continued to pray. He continued to ask the Lord, God, why is this happening? God, deliver me. God, help me. And I'm reading, I'm like, I get it. Yeah, I'd be praying that too. God, deliver me. Deliver me. But you get about halfway through the book, and then after all these failed attempts of the government trying to get him out of North Korea, God brought him to a place where he was like, you know, God, would you just use me? with where I'm at right now, even though it's not my preference. And he says, as soon as he switched from thinking, deliver, 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 God, just use me. And if I get delivered, glory to you. If I stay, glory to you. He's like, everything changed. I had a peace in my heart that I couldn't describe. Not that things weren't still terrible because it was a prison camp, so it was still terrible. But there is this deep-seated peace that the Lord gave him that helped him to endure because of that perspective change. When Paul and Silas could have walked out, they focused on witnessing and saving this Roman jailer's life instead of just their own escape. Moving down to verse 29, we see this big transition that the jailer called for lights, he rushed in. He was trembling with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. The jailer's world got shaken upside down, literally. Earthquake. Literally woke him up, whoa. But that was extrinsically. He was halfway towards killing himself when his world, intrinsically, inside, was then shaken. Because then he goes to kill himself and they're like, no, 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 we're all here. And he's like, wait, what? And it's this big rattling on the inside that's like, what kind of a God do these people serve that they would stay and not just walk out? I would be dead if, if they left. And God touched this jailer's heart and he fell down before them trembling in fear. And they responded said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. His response to this internal earthquake was a desire to give his life to Jesus. It's interesting to see, as we look down to verse kind of 28 through 34, that we see the jailer respond to his new faith by also showing selfless compassion. How he goes from guarding them in the prison to washing their wounds in his own house, feeding them from his own kitchen or fridge. I don't know if they had fridges back then, but icebox or something. From his own house with his family. He could have just brought him food to the jail. He could have brought a couple claws and some ointment or something to the jail but he brought them to his house amongst his family fed them, washed their wounds it's so cool to see how God can take someone that some of us may look at and be like God I don't know how you're going to do it that person I don't know I trust you though but I don't know if I can anything and this is an example of what God can do through a life when you just surrender your all to him and see how he leads you. Then we come to the uh, last chunk of the text. And we see that the magistrates had sent word to let them go. Now the text doesn't necessarily specify why they let them go. Um, Some Scholars would say that it's possible that the beating in the night in jail was punishment enough for what they had done and that they learned their lesson, so get them out. But look at how Paul responded. He said to the police that the magistrate sent, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. Do they want to throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. Police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. Again, we talked earlier how this was the most loyal of Roman citizens. And so when they heard this, that they were Roman citizens, that they had beaten and imprisoned, fear. What? What? Well, we thought they were just going to leave. Well, and now they don't really know what to do. The third response that we see from Paul here is that he responded to the magistrates letting him go by holding them accountable by demanding justice. Paul responded by holding the magistrates accountable by demanding justice. The thing to note here is that it wasn't justice just for himself, as he had been grossly mistreated, as had Silas. It wasn't for their own sakes that he was demanding this, but it was for the preservation of the church that was being established at Philippi when they went to leave the city to preserve them so there wouldn't be barriers or these kind of distractions left behind when they eventually left. And it was for the public reputation of the gospel that all these things that had happened with the slave girl and the mob, that those things would kind of be in their own camp and that it would be like, here's the gospel, here's the church we're leaving behind, here's what happened, and that it would be clear and that God's word would prevail. None of that would have happened if Paul and Timothy were not faithful to their mission to take the gospel to these places following the Holy Spirit where he led and just giving themselves. The jailer would be dead or he would never have been saved. A few response questions as we kind of reflect on this passage. By the prisoners listening to Paul and Silas sing, they were learning about God. You can learn a lot about God through, about anything through songs. We hear it all the time on the radio and even public radio, like different hymns and different things that have been organized into songs. You can learn a lot about a lot of things. But they were listening and learning about God. What are people learning about God from looking and listening to the way that you live? What kind of song as Christians are we singing with our lives? And what are people learning about God from it? And the thing that's a little bit daunting is that that includes everything. What are people learning about God from the way that you pay for your gas? From the way that you stand in a long line at Cub Foods when you've got to get home ASAP? and you're frustrated because someone is scanning one fruit at a time, and they don't know how to scan it into the thing, and frustrated. (laughs) It's one of my personal challenges. (laughs) What kind of song are we singing? Are we keeping our focus and our eyes on the God above us? Are we being consumed with the world around us? The magistrates responded to the slave girl, uh, the slave girl's owners, emotionally. They had an emotional response to the situation. Except Paul and Silas responded in faith to their situation because their focus was on Christ and His mission. What are ways that we as believers respond emotionally instead of through the Holy Spirit, being guided by His word? Those knee-jerk reactions. emotional responses apart from the holy spirit's empowering hurt our gospel witness because we don't know as much as we think we do and god knows all and then when paul and silas were released paul held the magistrates accountable by demanding justice not for his sake or silas's sake but for the sake of the gospel and the church in what ways do we seek justice based off our own selfish reasons instead of the gospel and the church. They said this about me, so therefore I can do this in response because that makes, that makes logical, rational sense. Well, not biblically. It may make logical, rational sense, but that doesn't line up with what scripture says. Are we seeking justice for the sake of the gospel and that people may come to know him and love him, trust him as Lord and Savior. Faithfulness and mission are not easy. And I don't claim for it to be simple because I've been speaking about it, struggling just as much as anyone. But the thing that's incredible is that the God we serve is a good, gracious God that will meet you right where you're at, and he will empower you to get where he wants you to go. And all that we have to do is just lay down our everything and trust him with it. Then we don't have to look for the, what's the three-step process for getting here in life? What's my 10 ways for a better this? That all gets thrown out the window, and it's just, God, what do you want me to do today? It's your will. Because his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Pray with me if you would. Lord God, we live in crazy times. And I would venture to say that even back in these biblical times, Lord, in this context that we see here in Acts, that they would also say that they were crazy times. Lots of things going on. But Lord... The one thing that is constant, that has always been constant, that will always be constant is your unfailing love for your people and your overwhelming desire to redeem people for yourself. God, help us to be vessels, to be instruments of bringing that peace, of bringing your gospel wherever you lead us to go if it's across the room, across the globe, that we would stop putting labels on it and that we would just listen to what you want us to do. I pray that you would use every waking moment and even while we sleep, God, even through visions, that you would speak to us, God. Make straight our paths, Lord God. Help us to lay down all that we are so that you can be all that you need to be in our lives and that we wouldn't quench your spirit. Amen.